This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, we sit down with under-23's England's women's goalkeeper coach, Chris Pike. He discusses his journey into the role and what he has learned working for clubs like Tottenham and Arsenal, his process when coaching goalkeepers and how this changes depending on the age group he's working with, as well as the process of gaining validity as a coach and how he individualises his sessions to his players. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Right, so Chris, I know that we have been going back and forth on our diaries over this one, but um, we've just realised once chatting that obviously we're on our A licence together once we saw each other's faces and stuff. But yeah, thanks for coming on. How are things at all? Uh, how are things at end? Are you all good? Yeah, firstly, thanks for having me on. Um, really appreciate your time. Yep, when I see the face <laughs> before COVID on the A licence and good times and how we recognise each other after such a long period as well is... Uh, it is amazing but yeah no all all really good here Um, it's obviously been a couple of years since we've last met as well but yeah everything's everything's good here perfect so I think for people that don't know your background etc um do you just want to give a, a little bit of a whistle stop tour really of, of, of who you are and what you do and how you got there briefly yeah so um quite an interesting journey really I didn't um kind of go into football coaching until I was about 25 um, 26. Prior to that, I was in education, teaching, and um, primary schools, secondary schools, those sorts of elements. Um, goalkeeping, I played goalkeeper when I was younger, so it was always something that's kind of involved in. Did a level two qualification when I was like 18, um, then had a big gap where I went into teaching and education. And then I started to get the bug in terms of wanting to get back into football coaching and what that looked like. Um, 25 is now nine years ago so starting to feel old as, as I'm getting on and basically what I did was just wrote loads of letters to clubs locally to me and dropped loads of emails offering to come in voluntarily doing things for free just whatever it was to get some experience around goalkeeper coaching luckily um Dagenham and Redbridge got back to me um a goalkeeping coach there called Ryan Cara um offered me to come in and work with him um which was brilliant for me at that stage to be able to do that they supported me from my UA for B and, and those sorts of process. And to be honest, it just gathered legs from there. Um, from there, I delivered from the foundation um, to the PDP phase. I went on to Millwall after that, where I started to do similar around the foundation, the YDP phase. Moved to Watford, did 23s and 16s, um, went to Arsenal. So started to grow in terms of what that looked like, 18s, 23s. Um, even at Arsenal I did pre-academy so literally I've done from five to 23s and then in the last two seasons um, moved into the women's game got a really good opportunity to work with Tottenham Hotspur women in WSL last season and had a great season finishing fifth which was brilliant for them and the team and then this year my current role is working with England women under 23s as goalkeeping coach which I've held since September. Perfect. So yeah, loads of stops along the way. I'm glad that you you managed to get there to Tottenham. So being a Spurs fan, it's always nice to get someone yeah. who's got insight into that club. Um, but I guess the the first thing for me, and you alluded to there, as a practitioner, how do you go about planning um, for like the PDP in the morning and then pre academy in the afternoon? Because it's such a big shift in capabilities and experience and stuff. So, yeah, I guess what what would your plan, planning process look like in that scenario where you've got such a wide range in age groups? Yeah, no, brilliant. I think when I did the pre-academy at Arsenal, I literally, I loved it, to be honest. It's really good. Obviously, they're fun and you can do anything with them. And I think it's just understanding where they're at, at their age and the needs and what it looks like. So for pre-academy, even though it's a goalkeeping session, um, I wouldn't do much goalkeeping. It sounds really weird. It would be like fun movement games because ultimately they're five and six, so they don't know how to move properly as well. Um, of course, you do catching games. You would do things in the goal, but I wouldn't be strict on you have to stand like this and you have to move sideways because for me, that just limits their their movement patterns and what that looks like as a child. They're trying to evolve their fundamentals. 
So all of it was about fundamentals. And of course, you'd add in some goalkeeping elements, but ultimately they would just be drip fed in terms of what that looked like. We also started with the pre-academy. The big thing now is that goalkeepers have to play. No, they're five or six, but they would join in with the team at the start and join in with a ball each. So they'd be doing the dribbling games that the other players would be doing. Then they'd come out to me to do some goalkeeping and then go back into the game. So ultimately, it was just trying to make it a fun environment, teaching them some goalkeeping basics, but also just integrating with the team, making them feel a part of it and so on from there. As you start to get older, I suppose, too, in terms of the PDP phase, they're now looking at maybe opposition. So what does that look like for them? What are you going to experience in the game? It'll be linked to their IDP. So that would be like their individual development plan. What do they need to do to get to the seniors? And what does the next stage look like? So am I involved in that? And also how we play. So in my session, it would be opposition-based, their own IDP and how we play whilst trying to fit in an objective. So you're covering three things within a session, which can be quite challenging, but quite fun to plan. Um, and then that would be the same with uh, the seniors at, at Tottenham Women or England 23s. My process as they're moving into those sorts of games and competition elements would just be about how we play the opposition and what does it look like for them? What's their own IDP? Because the goalkeepers, they're all unique and have their own characteristics and trying to meet their needs as well. Yeah, so I think if we start at the the younger ones, because it's interesting you said around obviously the, the games changed in terms of having to use your feet and the amount. Like I look at someone like David De Gea and Hugo Lloris that are probably really good shot stoppers, but the bit they lack now compared to an Allison or an Edison is that ability to consistently show a range of pass under pressure, etc. So is there anything that you would do at those younger age groups besides then joining the outfield sessions to help them with their feet? Because I think notoriously, if you've got kids that, you know, play outfield for their grassroots team and are always stuck in there, it become become increasingly challenging because they're not actually getting as much contact with their feet at those younger age groups, which is only going to widen the gap as they go up. So is there anything in particular you would do around that space? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think it's always ongoing, probably all, all the way through the phase as well. But I think ultimately with the younger ones, it's about getting them enough repetition in terms of what they want to do, but also creating a bit of realism, which I know bounces about in terms of session plans, but like a little bit of pressure as well. So, of course, we can teach them the technique of how to pass if they're five, six, seven, eight, what that looks like. But could they pass with a decision? So it might be that there's two goals and when you pass it to the goalkeeper, you just block a goal off, for example. So they have to make a decision based on the movement. So really trying to encourage some decision-making with their passing. And that can be hard if you've got two seven-year-olds. That is difficult. It could be that you just, when you pass the ball, you put your arm out to one direction. They have to react off that arm and go that direction. Because ultimately the technique's one thing, but actually they have to make a decision within a game. And sometimes that's where they struggle. And obviously there's a big process and so many years in front of them. But for me, I would try to coach more about decision and what that looks like in the game and try to have fun little games around that. And how do you manage the, I guess, the risk to reward element of it? Because what I think a lot of people listen here that work with younger kids will realise is they can see the goal and if it was, the, I don't know, put in inverted commas, their fault, yeah. they pass it to a striker or taking a bad touch and it goes in, that at times can be quite upsetting for a young child Like and everyone understands that. So yeah. how would you go around framing that for the younger kids about saying that, you know, this is the hardest part of the game probably and you're going to make some mistakes, but actually that's fine, even if you can concede a goal doing it. Yeah, I think like this is all my personal opinions as well, is that I think there comes a stage where you have that conversation with them, but not too early, in my personal opinion. I'd always prefer the goalkeepers to be the other end. And let's say a seven-year-old constantly losing the ball, playing out, but really trying the passes or trying to dribble out, for example. That's fine with me, by the way. Some other outfield coaches might not say that, and you might agree. But I'm not, I'm comfortable because they're comfortable doing it. And I suppose that's a group collective from the goalkeeping coach, the outfield coach of what that looks like to say, we're going to accept that. 
But at this point, we'll start having the conversations about risk and reward and what that looks like. Because I'm just a firm believer that if you say that too young and you instill a little bit of saying fear in the right way, they might not try those things. So for me, if they were seven and they kept trying to play out and it, you know, it wasn't working, but they were still confident, you gave them that confidence. For me, that's absolutely fine. Or if they dribbled around somebody not going, don't do that again. You'd be like, oh, that was good. What could you do differently next time? Or what might you do if he did that again or she did that again? And they might give you that answer. So you're not saying don't do it again. You're just saying, well, what happened there? And what would you do differently next time? And just see if that starts to guide the conversation with them. Um, But I'm a firm believer in kind of going the other way early on because I think it's harder to get them to go expressive it's easier to refine it, personal opinion. So I think if we can encourage that more, that's good. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you on that one. I think that, um, as you said, particularly with those pre-academy ages, encourage them to dribble and stuff because it creates an overload somewhere um, and it doesn't matter if they give the ball away. But what age would you start to have those conversations, do you think? Yeah, I think even at seven, those sorts of questions of, oh, what happened there? And I tried to dribble and this happened. Okay, so what would you do differently? And that starts to pose it in the head, but you're not using the terms risk or reward or failure. Um, I think more when it gets to around, for me, maybe like youth development, like 11 to 14, those sorts of ages where they start to understand themselves as well, what that looks like. But if if they have the backing of the coach and the team and the philosophy that this is what we want to try, it's then about a tactical decision or technical. So at that stage, they might be making the right decisions but can't execute it, or they might be able to execute it but making terrible decisions. So then that helps with our coaching, our framework, what does their IDP look like? And then I think then it starts to get a bit more specific for me, probably around the 11 to 14 during that whole process. So they start to understand that, well, you can do that again, but if you do that, what does that look like or what happens in return? okay, well, I might have to move backwards to the goal quickly. I might have to do this. So they start to understand what the um, what the, what the risk is based on that pass. And I guess you mentioned there around that execution of skills and stuff. And I, I think there was a time, maybe on our A-license actually, when they were talking about the back five from England all coming from like League One or Championship sides. Yeah. And that's where they had a lot of their grounding and they jumped up. Um, obviously, you've had experience across the board in terms of category of um, academies to so then the challenge that they would then face. So um, how do you manage it in terms of practicing skills in a game scenario where you might either be really under the cosh or really dominant? So like if take Arsenal as an example, you might not get as many opportunities to shot stop if they're playing a de- game that's high dominance really low challenge and actually all they're doing is standing on the edge of their box being utilized as almost a bounce player to then recycle play in comparison if you're no disrespect but Dagenham and you're playing Arsenal that might be real high challenge you're not getting any opportunities to play out because it is full-blown press the entire time up against it so how do you go around managing learning those techniques and getting opportunities to actually execute them in the game because obviously you've got six, eight, ten other players on your team trying to ultimately stop you getting the ball probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it goes back to around how the opposition play, how we play, and then what that looks like for the individual. So if you said, you mentioned Arsenal, let's say we had 18s to 23s, um, yeah, Arsenal 18s to 23s, I imagine, would still be the same play out from the back, wouldn't go long, um, maybe at times just to exploit spaces potentially. So the goalkeeper probably wouldn't be getting the opportunities to play longer passes. If they go out on loan to a lower division club, you mentioned Dagenham, they're more than likely going to start playing longer passes instead of shorter passes. So we have to understand how we want to play, but also what that looks like in terms of their development. So I think in terms of the sessions, you'd have to try and find points to expose them to that. Yes, it might not be game realistic or relevant speed because you're doing it in training. But let's say if they someone went on loan to a League Two club, 
majority of the time you're going long um, from a goal kick, for example. Um, so actually, how many times in that 90 minutes are they going to go long? That could be 30, 40 ball strikes. They'll never get that in a Cat 1 Academy, probably. Um, I might be guessing, but the majority of the time it's playing out from the back, isn't it? So how do we... It's about their journey and trying to understand where they need to go and what does that look like? Same with, like you said, in terms of under pressure, how many shots might they face from a cat one team? But if they go on loan, they're going to be facing lots of repetition. So my sessions do have to involve putting them under pressure and challenging them, even though that's not how we play or what they might get on a Saturday, but knowing that's what they will get at some stage. And how do you manage that with the players because ultimately you're trying to future proof them but they're probably not being asked to do this on a Saturday so they could they could theoretically go actually I've been doing this with Chris about that long clip into the seven I'm not doing it so what's the point or they go the other way and go well I've done it with Chris and every time just goes is to the seven is to the seven is to seven and you've got the outfield coach going what are you doing play like play into your four and stuff so how do you manage that dynamic with the goalkeepers to say, I'm almost future-proofing you without yeah. them, it being so explicit? Yeah, obviously the relationship with the coach is is key. So they have to understand what you're trying to get out of the player and what that looks like, not only for the team, but for the individual. So you might get the buy-in, you might not. Um, but it also can go the other way. Like let's say they're not even on loan, but let's say they're going on international duty and they're playing for a team of a lesser nation or whatever way, and that team wants to play differently, that goalkeeper has to have the ability just to change and flip what they do. So I think there is an understanding of the way that looks. And then it just comes down to the decision that if the coach does want to play short, I'm sure at times they will be happy to exploit the space, but the goalkeeper has to get that right time, right decision, right moment, or of course it's you know, it's going to be wrong, isn't it? And, um, and then obviously the times that we have and we've training, it's just important that we try to expose them to those different elements. So if somebody does ask them to do something different, they've got it ready so they can do that. Um, and then as they start to get older and, and senior games, they'll they'll have all those tools. But even now, you know, going on to the seniors, um, I think the one recently, Crystal Palace, who trained managers, he might ask the goalkeeper to do something different. And the goalkeeper will have to do that. So it flips around, doesn't it? It's It could be that they're playing long. Now the goalkeeper has to play short, but he hasn't played short for X amount of games. So now he has to adapt to playing short. So just trying to provide the biggest variety and biggest exposure, knowing what they're going to get exposed to in the game. So understanding what the game looks like and what that exposes them to. Um, I guess this is just a personal opinion of this. I would argue that probably goalkeepers have the most experience of trying to replicate something from training into games without it being consistent because particularly younger age groups, you might end up with playing 40 minutes for 40 minutes in the 80, whereas yeah. outfielders, you might play 80 or 60 minutes. Actually, they're used to along their pathway only getting 40 minutes a game or sometimes might even be less than that. I know there's some clubs that take like four goalkeepers per age group. Um, But they, I guess they uh, early on in their journey, get used to the idea of training is actually a really valuable opportunity for me to improve because I'm not going to be able to do it all in a game at a weekend. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think the games program now from what I know is obviously got better to, Give the give the players more opportunities, um, like you said, especially with the goalkeepers. It is quite generic that it's forty forty, and they're not playing that that full length of the game. Um, the training as well, obviously, they get more specific individual training essentially. So, let's say even if they're training twelves to fourteens, there might be six goalkeepers in that, where the players, the outfield, they've got twenty players in the squad. If that makes sense, so they get a little bit more individualized sessions within that time so like what you said making sure that our sessions are really game realistic as well to manage that so the speed of the sessions and the way the sessions look need to be relevant as well so if they are playing 40 minutes they're getting enough in training as well as the training with the team and any other competitions they might have yeah and could you just tell us about um like in training, managing the the repetition load 
to, I guess, not being too high or being too low or in frequency compared to game realism? Because it might be that in a game you save, you know, every seven minutes, whereas you don't want them saving a shot and then standing there for seven minutes in session. Because could you just, yeah, tell us about that and from your experience around that space? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I'll start with the seniors when I was at Tottenham Women. That's a um, kind of more in depth around their age because now they're seniors. So they might have um, slight niggles, like management problems around what it looks like game to game. So the repetitions there would come from um, the SNC coach, the physio. We'd have a conversation every morning about what that looks like for them. Here's my session. Can they do that? Can they do this? Because as you get older, obviously things change and you're starting to manage what that looks like. Then it's the quality of the repetition. So they could still do 100 catches of the ball. It, the movements might be slightly different. Would we get them to dive 100 times within a session? Probably not at certain stages because that's not what they need at that stage of their career. But then when they are doing it and executing it, the quality of it has to be high, has to be intense. Um, so even if they're doing sets of three or four, that has to be high quality, high intensity to make sure that they get the actions right. With the younger ones, let's say like 18s onwards, probably a little bit more flexible physically as well because they're going through through that stage of growth. Um, but I think when we do our repetitions, it's important that it's relevant to the game. So they might do one or two actions that's relevant to what could happen in a game. And they might do a third one or they might finish with a, an in-possession element because in a game, they make a save. They always have an in-possession element at the end if they catch the ball. So can you add that into your sessions? Because then they're tired, they've made two saves, and they might have to side volley to counter-attack, but they're out of breath. So how do you manage that technique when you're out of breath and not just doing a, a side volley when you're, when you're calm and there's no pressure and there's IDP? Of course, you can get the technique right, but it doesn't look like the game. And so what... Like obviously in in a game you'd have time pressure of doing that technique because you've got a window in which the team hasn't recovered to be in balance and and whatnot. How would you go around manipulating your session to allow you to be able to uh, to I guess expose them to that time pressure of you know this is the two quick saves and then now we've got to do this in a certain period. Yeah, some things can just be you just put time on yourself. So as soon as you make the second save, you've got four seconds to volley, for example, or four seconds to throw into X target goals. Some of the things I've done before is myself as the coach or another player, as soon as they made the save, could be the attacker. So could start moving with them to create that pressure. So they have to move away from that player and then do it within that time frame. It's just the expectations of the session. If I don't say a time to them, they can get up from their second save walk do whatever that looks like and you'll do it in your outfield sessions as well it's like look, you've got to do it in three four seconds it has to be pace has to be intensity but this is why we're doing it and this is what it looks like in the real game so you can show them so when they're doing it they can see the relevance of what that looks like in the game and yeah, that makes sense and one, one thing you mentioned earlier was around the growth of goalkeepers and i think this is something that you know anyone working in football will see some some goalkeepers all of a sudden shoot up and look like they don't know where their arms and legs are. Could you just talk us through uh, some of the challenges that are faced during that period and maybe for listeners that don't know about the high growth, what that actually looks like and means for, for a goalkeeper in particular? Yeah, so like growth is obviously essentially like people uh, physically getting taller, aren't they? As they get older, they get measured Um maturation is around like the development of that individual and like their characteristics through growth so like maturation be like um, voice mood things like that so they're actually like two different things and what you might see in terms of growth in like a short period of what i found is that you might see a child's height just zoom you'll probably see it over the summer break they'll go away come back and you're like how did you get so tall there and um, some maturation might be that they've got tall really quick, but they haven't gone through maturation yet. So they've still got a little bit of room, you know, for growth effectively. Um, ways that you can spot it, obviously, like physical changes, um, muscle development, um, growth quickly. You know, like you said, in terms, you can see that quickness in terms of how they do it. Um, and then the way that we would support it is 
a lot of things is like the intensity of the session. So managing that intensity of what that looks like linked to their growth. It might be that you split into shorter parts with better rest in between. So it's not as high intensity Um, you can manage the group. So you can manage like what that looks like in terms of growth and maturation. We've got smaller groups as goalkeepers. So it might be slightly easier. A lot of the things that you might see would be things like catching the ball, coordination. If they're great at getting taller, their limbs are getting longer, which means that the way they struck the ball two months ago is going to be completely different to how they strike the ball now. So sometimes me personally as well, I think we could be too quick to say, oh, it's their technique, it's their execution. It could just be they're going through a, a growth stage or a maturation stage and they just need a little bit of time to figure it out themselves because they're adapting to their limbs and, and body growing. So I think a little bit of understanding and realisation of, where they're at at their stage is really key to help you coach. And um, how do you uh, explain that to the players in terms of them going from having maybe a really nice ball striking technique to then dig into Australia every time they go to clip one long? Yeah, I think nowadays, well, a lot of the SNCs would do that. Um, at the academies, obviously, they're all really good, aren't they? And really in depth. So they'll probably see where they're growing, what that looks like, what some of the challenges you are. And I think when they have their IDP meetings or it's every six weeks or 12 weeks, however it looks in the club, is you can have those conversations with them and be like, well, look, you're going through a growth stage. This may happen within this period. It's fine. Keep working on it. Keep evolving. And then we'll keep assessing and keep supporting you. So I think them understanding why it's happening as well will help them. Of course, you know, emotionally, they might be upset around it. It might be a challenge. And it's you just as a coach and treating them like children effectively because they are is them understanding that at some point they'll come out of it but you just don't want to jump to conclusions about oh they can't do this it means that they're not good enough it might be the case that they might not be at the level that's required for whatever that club is but it might be something else and we have to understand that as well and have you seen goalkeepers that have either gone from having really nice technical base of particularly ball striking gone through uh, growth and then out the other side haven't been able to regain that or vice versa where actually their ball striking techniques prior to growth wasn't great and then they've come out the other side and actually they've been able to I guess figure it out and now they can strike it really cleanly over distance have you seen that change yeah it's a good question um I think over time, you would have seen it at different stages. Um, probably more the other way with goalkeepers is that they grow really, really quick. So you have a period where they can't do it and then you see them do it. Um, not the other way around. As there's some some 11-year-olds now that are really tall and well beyond the growth. I'm sure you'll see. And you just say, well, actually, this is where they're at. But then linking with the SNCs and what their growth looks like, you come to a point where you say, right, well, we need to know by this age or this point what this looks like. So I do think you have to have a cut off at some point, of course, because you can't just say that they're growing forever, but understanding what that process and that journey looks like. But definitely, yeah, the goalkeepers that that I've seen have um, either come out of it really well um, or started really well, had a dip, got back to it, just adjusted their body. The amount of repetitions that they have within a week, the amount of the training program is really good, isn't it? In terms of whatever it is, three, four training sessions, two games, maybe competitions. There's loads of opportunities for them to practice that. And if there is something really particular that they're struggling with, then you can add it to their IDP and start to do that in individual time or they can lead on that away from the club or with the club's permission, whatever that looks like. And would you say it normally affects the feet more than the hands or is it part and parcel that both go? I haven't really looked. This is, That could be a good piece of research that I think normally you probably spot the feet, if I'm honest, because the handling normally is pretty straightforward, like the ball's um, eye line where the leg, there's kind of multiple limbs happening at the same time. Um, so I would normally say without any research base, I would normally say it's the in-possession element that I feel I would see. I don't know if you see that within the academy ages that you have, but I normally say it's like the feet and the in-possession element around what struggles. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's also more obvious as well, like with the handling, they might not take it quite as cleanly, pat it down and then grab it, Yeah, which isn't ideal. But again, as an outfield coach, you're kind of like, well, he's kept the ball out of the net 
with a relatively what seems like a relatively good technique, which means for him he's going to have success. Whereas if they're going to clip and they play straight to the striker and the ball gets walloped back past them, there's a element of it being clear for everyone to see, but also a level of psychological challenge for them in that as well. Because they're like, well, me doing that has had a direct effect to this. And, you know, at times you can say to them, it doesn't matter. It's fine. You explain it to them. But ultimately, they're still kids and they're going to get upset if they feel like they've made a mistake, even if it doesn't matter how many times you tell them that it's okay and that, you know, everyone makes mistakes. No one gets upset at the striker that puts it past the post or the centre back that gets spun or anything like that. So try yeah. not to worry about it. And I think the in possession one, there's probably, it's probably more highlighted because out of possession, you said about catching a ball or a strike, there's so many vari- like variables within that. So if somebody strikes a ball, it's never the same strike twice. That could be distance, it could be speed, it could be players in the way, it could be the weather, all sorts. But actually there's probably less variables from a dead ball strike. So maybe that's why that the in possession gets highlighted a little bit more around the growth and maturation. Just a thought, haven't got any research on that or any evidence. But yeah, like you said, just from a visual perspective, maybe that's why. So you've mentioned a few times around uh, IDPs for players and whatnot. Um, I guess my question for around, around that for, for you is, how do you manage that with different goalkeeper profiles? So I'm going to use Tottenham as an example. You've got Hugo Lloris, um, who's obviously one particular body type, probably capabilities around acceleration, agility, etc. And then Fraser Forster, who's almost... I'd say the other end of the spectrum of being like physically imposing, I think six, seven or whatever he is and very long limbs, probably not as as agile in perception view anyway, but it has different techniques. So how do you go around managing, I guess, one, IDPs for players like that, but two, you having a curriculum or a training base that's going to help improve or challenge both individuals who have got very different skill sets within the club? Yeah. I think going with a Tottenham one, personal opinion, obviously it's around how Tottenham would want to play. So both goalkeepers, even though they're, like you say, completely different, I'm assuming that Conte would want them to play exactly the same way. He wouldn't want two different goalkeepers. I think that would change his style of play. He might do. Um but he'd understand that within that, of course, they'd have their, their own unique characteristics and you try to expose expose that. Um, so I think it's them understanding how they play. But also for them, IDP doesn't have to be about development. It could be a super strength that they continue to work on to continue um, what they're doing within the team. So some of that's really important. Um, some of the individuals a little bit lower down, it might be about what it looks like to get them to a first team level. Now, sometimes people might say, oh, it's working on my left foot. And I think that's fine. My question would be, if you could play with your left foot, would that get you to be the first in goalkeeper at Tottenham, for example? It might not. Like, it might not be a big issue. It might be something else. So I think your IDP has to be really relevant about what that looks like for you and what a world-class goalkeeper looks like. So some of it might be around... And claiming crosses and being dominant within the box, for example. That might not be how Tottenham play in possession, but out of possession, we know that all the world-class goalkeepers can dominate their box. It's a relief for the defenders and all of those perspectives, which I think work work really well. But I just think it's a focus on the strengths, not only the developments. No, that makes uh, complete sense. I think the super strength thing is something there's been a bit of an industry shift around that and understanding um, that. And what I like that you mentioned there is kind of what is actually going to get you to take that next step. Because like you mentioned, it's really good to say, okay, here's my super strength or here's my area for development. But what is actually going to be the thing that gets you into that jersey or is going to yeah help you make make that shift? Um in terms of like IDAP forms, how do you normally formulate the ones you do? Do you have a particular format you use? Do the players do it? Just describe to us what that would look like. Yeah, I think all the clubs that I've been that have their own own form, own style. I'm sure you have one as well. I think they're all similar in, in terms of what the content is. I do feel that there needs to be a big piece, like an educational piece around the IDPs, including myself. 
because I do feel that players um, and coaches as well, including me, it's like like what you said, what does that next stage really look like? And is the IDP geared towards that, essentially? Or is it just geared to where they are now? So it's got to be a little bit of both that, of course, they need to improve on X, Y, Z currently. But what is it that they need when they get to 14? What is it when they need to get to 16? Do you have that as part of their IDP? So it's bedded in. Um, so if you're going like seniors, so when I was with Tottenham, obviously their IDP could be about how they play. It could be linked to countries because they're internationals. And so they might have bigger goals and bigger IDPs. They might have physical IDPs. It hasn't necessarily got to be on the pitch, but it's an understanding that whatever they're doing in their IDP has to have an impact on their performance to get them to whatever their goal is. So I would, I'm using the left foot one. Of course, that can be an IDP. Is that going to get you in the Tottenham first team, as you mentioned with Hugo Lloris and Foster, because you can play with your left foot? Or is something else going to get you into that team? So just having a a good understanding of what that looks like and just having two or three really clear things that you can then evaluate every six weeks or so, every month, whatever that looks like in your environment, and then decide, right, we carry on with that. No, we do this, we change this um, and go from there. And then for you as a practitioner, how do you manage your, I guess, relationship slash, being honest, bias with goalkeepers? Because, you know, you might have an individual that really engages with their IDP and you can see them progressing. You might have someone who absolutely sacks it off, has got no interest to it. It's really hard to push to get them into the gym or anything like that. But the one who sacks it off ultimately is a better goalkeeper at this moment in time. And, you know, the performance base, if the manager's coming to you saying who should be starting, like for a performance perspective, you're saying that person. So how do you go around managing or developing those relationships? And how do you challenge yourself from a bias piece? Because you do have such a, you know, connection with those individuals because you're so hands-on with them. Yeah, I think the biggest element maybe was when I... Yeah, with Tottenham women obviously going in where they're seniors. Um, for me, it's just all about the person and just understanding the person and understanding them. So when I went in at Tottenham, um, I had conversations with both goalkeepers um, just about them. It wasn't about what the sessions are going to look like. It wasn't just about them, what they've been doing, what that looks like for them, where do they want to go, how do they work, Um two completely different goalkeepers, two very good goalkeepers as well. But ultimately, they're two different. So I can't treat one the same as the other. Um, and I think if they understand, this is personal, if they understand that you're there for them and they can see that, they give you everything in return. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, of course, maybe when they're younger in the academy and the boy doesn't mean if they don't do extra sets in the gym that they're not professional. I don't know. I don't, you know, it depends obviously of everything else. For me, it doesn't mean that if they're doing everything they need to be doing and they're performing at an exceptionally high level, of course you can challenge and drip feed in. But especially with like the women at Tottenham at seniors, they've played for a number of years, super experienced, internationals. I can't come in straight away and then start saying, do this, do that, do it. It's a time, you have to build time. And when you build trust, you can then start to implement what you want to implement. So like you said, the bias, it could be that I want the goalkeepers to defend the space behind, be really high. Am I going to change that straight away? No, because they're used to playing so much and in a certain way. Can I drip feed that in through the conversations, through the personal conversations that you have individually and as a group? Yes, I'm a firm believer in that. So I think what's key is just getting to know them and then how they tick. So you might deliver one IDP slightly different to the other, but you know that both of them are going to get the same outcome, which is what you want in terms of increased performance. And that example that you use there, how do you make sure that you've got validity with them? Because if they're two very experienced goalkeepers, again, they might be international goalkeepers. If you're coming in from a um, a space where you've never been in international football or anything like that, I think it's a common challenge for people that haven't had that that top level experience or playing experience. Um, how do you go out? showing validity in, in your messages, in your workings, in, in what you're trying to impart, impart on them knowledge-wise? Yeah, yeah, great question. Obviously, my third, that was my first senior role as well. Um, 
again, going back to the point, I think it's just telling them that you're a person and you're human. That's like, that's the end of it. I didn't go in and say, this is what I've done. This is what I'm going to do. This is how it looks. It was, this is why I'm here. What do you need from me? What does that look like? Let's set some things together. Let's work together. And you just have that open conversation. Then I think when you start to have those conversations, you start to build a bit of trust. Then of course, when you go on the grass and you start delivering, they start to think, oh, okay, yeah, this is good. This can work. And then you can start drip feeding in those. Well, you know, when you do that there, have you ever thought about doing this? And then they might say, well, yeah, actually, you know, I've seen that. The good thing with the scene is you can start adding clips as well. So you can start to show what some of the things are. But I do believe you can, like you said, I don't, I'm not a firm believer in throwing it in their face and going, oh, I've done this before. I've done that before. For them, it doesn't matter because they wasn't there. It's about what's right for them at that moment in time. So I'm just a firm believer that they understand that you're human. I'm going to make mistakes. I want them to challenge me. So that was one of the first conversations we had. It was like, if there's something in the session that you don't feel is right, tell me then and there and we'll adapt and we'll change that. It's not about me thinking I'm always right. And that might not happen necessarily with 16s, 18s, because they might not know any different. But I think going into the seniors, they've been, they've had lots of elements and for them to say, actually, why did we do that? Or I didn't like that. And I might go back to them and say, well, it's fine. You didn't like that. The reason why we're doing it is because we're going to get this out of it. And they might say, oh, okay, fair enough. Or it might just be a real simple one. And I go, yeah, I see that actually. Do you know what? We won't do that. And we'll change it to this. And they'll be like, yeah, great. So just them understanding that they have a little bit of ownership in that as well. And how did it change your um, working or did it change your working going from development-based to it being performance-based yeah obviously development-based you might have a curriculum that you follow and it's a lot about of course the games at 18s or 23s or younger do we matter because you want them to matter as well but it's about the individual isn't it it's about how they grow how they develop the sessions really specific and designed to them working at the seniors it's then about what it means on the match day is three points so actually the goalkeepers have to be prepared for the opposition they have to know everything that's going to happen you have to give them all that exposure that you can to make sure that they can perform to the best of their ability on a on a match day so the way that um i structured the week would be a couple of sessions would be still about us so everything would be about how we want to play as a team what the goalkeepers need and then towards the back end you start talking more about the opposition, right? We're doing this session because we're going to see this from May United or Arsenal. This is what we think we're going to see. Here's the clips that show that, and we're going to try and replicate that so you're ready within the game. Um, but and then so again... Would like, that be type of crosses or would that be types of finishes or what What kind of detail would you be looking at? In the- yeah, types of finishes, types of cutbacks, the way they score goals, the way they create chances. So... The way I designed my sessions then was I would look at the opposition. We'd do an opposition profile video where I would give it to the goalkeepers. So they'd see um, set plays, free kicks, direct free kicks from the opposition. Um, You'd see their goals, you'd see chances. And you normally see a bit of a trend in terms of the way that it looks. Of course, there's a million one things that happen within a game. But if you can give them that, they feel a bit more comfortable knowing what to expect. So if we were, I don't know, playing the main United for example they might have a lot more through balls within the fullbacks and centre backs and a lot more cutbacks so that's might what we want to do of course I might drip feed that in throughout the week and all the other sessions you do but you're starting to explain this is why we're doing this here because of this and they start to get that understanding and then buy in and that works really well yeah I think as you said having that process of being able to show clips and stuff really helps and then I guess this links into your uh, set piece role now with the, with the England stuff as well. How do you go around researching that information? So we're talking about obviously the videos of what teams are doing. If it's defending set pieces, they might have particular routines or I know now everyone seems to have a, a kickoff routine as well. So how do you go around, I guess, researching so that you've got the players and you have got an idea of what it could potentially look like so you're well organised on a, on a game day? Yeah, so one of the things that I use is like the UEFA technical report. So they come out after every tournament. So that can be men's, women's, I think they go down to under 17s or 19s. And they do sections around in possession, out possession, set plays. 
So I will start to gather information of what, let's say, for example, the women's Euros last year, there's a whole set play analysis on in swinging corners, goals from direct play, goals from second phase, all those elements that then you can start to break down yourself and get clips and start to see what's successful. Um, I tried to speak to as many people as I can as well from different clubs, different age groups, um, just to get as much opinions around what that looks like for them. Um, at England, at Tottenham, we'd have stats. So we'd have things like, you know, how many goals were in swinging? How many chances do we create from an in swinging? Is it a certain area that we always make first contact? Is that something we should continue to expose? And then also looking at the opposition because the opposition might have a specific weakness that we'd be able to exploit that we might want to do in that specific game. So it's focusing on our strengths, of course, but if there is an opposition weakness, then try to exploit that at the same time. And how do you manage that with different personnel? Because I'd imagine like if you've got two six foot five centre halves compared to Romero, I don't know what he is, but like six foot or something, that's a very different profile and probably gives you capabilities to do different things. So how do you manage that in terms of uh, do you know the team the day before or is it like these are some generic principles we're going to work off regardless of who's playing where? Like, What does that look like? Yeah, so um, you said about profiling, really important. Understanding what your players can and can't do is, is important across the board if you have 20. Um, who can be a first contact who's a a short who's a zone or whatever your system might look like if you understand what the players can do that helps you set up and what you can do and um, i think it's also understanding what your limitations are sounds really weird but we need to understand what our weakness is because in every set play i believe there is a weakness you can't cover everything so if we can understand that as well what does that look like in terms of the starting 11 yeah normally from what i understand in teams doing differently um you might know it staff might know it throughout the week and um, sometimes it's right to the edge because you're waiting for somebody to come back from injury or whatever that looks like and um, I think they're variables in terms of managers that you work with the environments that you work in um, but for me if I know the role of the players I can be quick with my decision and say yes I agree with this person starting or no I don't think she should start or he should start because of this and then I can just portray that from a set play perspective and tell the, the pros and cons of what that looks like and that could affect a starting position effectively depends on the game doesn't it like you mentioned Romero or people like that with Tottenham seniors I, I don't know it but let's say they were playing a team that was really tall would that have an impact on their starting 11 potentially might do it might not but I think they're all things that can add to a, a starting 11 selection for sure and I know this was on RA license. They did it on one day. I actually thought it was quite a good idea where they gave you like a team sheet of the opposing team along with a little bit of yours with some weaknesses and strengths and asked you to come up with a way. In the environments you've worked in, is that similar in terms of going, well, we think that the team United proposed this threat. We think this is roughly the team they're going to go for. You know, barbershop, talk or coffee shop talk what does everyone think who do we think the team should be or is it very much like head coach coming in going no this is what we're doing work it out from there yeah again I think different experiences the experience that I've had is that it's all together yeah this is what we think and this is what I'm thinking what does everyone else think and some coaches from what I've heard you've probably heard loads of different environments deal, deal with it differently and come in and say this is the team away you go and you just have to deal with it. Um, the openness is, yeah, if we were playing um, a team, this is what we think their team's going to be. Um, basically, when the season starts, you start to get a feel of people starting 11s and you can start to pick out threats. You can get stats on, if we're talking set plays, first contacts. I would then assess their corners. What do they do majority of the time? What does that look like? Back it up with clips, back it up with a bit of data because I found that the players are always going to ask why. You know, why are we doing that? And if you've got something quickly to go back to them and say, well, it's because of this, they're like, oh, okay, fair enough. And they start to build that trust within that. So, yeah, same for our perspective. So if we know that they do a corner, that might be um, our setup might change slightly, might be the same. Um, 
like you said, teams introduce clever corners. Throw-ins is a big thing now. Um, I've started to look at throw-ins a lot more probably over the last four or five months um, in terms of like how goal-scoring opportunities are created from throws in the attacking third. Um, is that a quick throw? Is it a rotation? Is it is it a blocker? All those, like you said, kick off now. It's becoming a really big part of the game. And I think if we understand what the opposition do and what we can do to prevent that, um, that's a big thing. Just find your own Rory Delap, mate. It'd be easy. Just go yeah, yeah. check it in the mixer. Not a, not a problem. <laughs> Put it in. Press the goalkeeper. That's fine. Um, I'm conscious of time because we're, we're up to where we allotted for this. So last uh, question for me, which is if I was to ask uh, the coaches you work with or the people you coach or have coached to describe you in three words, how would you want them to describe you and why? Oh, it's different between want and what they would actually say, I think. Um, <laughs> um, I think firstly, like I'm saying, probably like sociable in terms of open. So I can hold conversations. I can put my opinion across. I think that's really important in an environment, being able to challenge people, but in the right way. So you can always back up what you say. So you had a bit of validity in terms of, of what you say. Um, being proactive, um, and probably organised. Being proactive for me is key, not waiting for someone to say you need to do something, but you looking ahead and trying to plan and being organised. You know, I was always keen that if the manager now or the manager at last season at Tottenham or even Arsenal asked me for something, I'd have it. Like, I was key on that. Whether that was two weeks in advance, oh, have you got the set plays for that? Or have you got this? Yeah, yeah, I've got this. So me looking ahead and just being organised because then you build the trust so if the manager can trust you to not only have the information, but deliver it in the right way, I think that was key. So yeah, maybe like sociable, open, proactive and organised. Perfect. Listen, Chris, really appreciate your time. I think a great insight into the, the wacky world of goalkeeping and uh, hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. No, thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.